Amen. All right, now we left off on verse 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But let's go ahead and read uh, right up to verse 4 here, and we'll pick that thing back up again. The Bible says here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Of course, he's talking about the, uh, there's different things he's talking about through this chapter. He's talking about the day of the Lord. He's talking about the rapture, and he's talking about the tribulation, and all these things. He's like, look, there's no reason that I write. He says, verse 2, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Look at verse 4. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. And Paul says, look, you're not ignorant. Uh, you know perfectly and uh, <clears throat> that that day is not going to overtake you because there's some signs, there's some indicators. And again, we're not Jews, all right? We're not looking for a sign, and we don't hinge our faith upon signs as some uh, people falsely so-called. We're looking for Jesus Christ, but there are some signs that tell you we're getting close to going home. All right, uh, we looked at this Wednesday, but let's look at it again. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I want to point these out, make some comment, and move on. There are some signs, and Paul tells you about the signs of these last days. And we're not talking about uh, rainbows in the sky and unicorns and all that stuff and this fairy tale stuff. We're talking about things that are going on right now. Uh, things that you can uh, really think and like, yeah, that is what is going on today. Look at 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. These things are very clear. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that's very clearly, <laughs> that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. It's talking about safe folk, all right? Talking about the body of Christ. He's like, look, some people are going to depart from the faith. That is, people get in this thing, they get saved, they get going a ways, and then they just walk out of it. Now, look, you can't lose your salvation as a child of God, but you sure can depart from the faith. And that's what's going on, like a verse, uh, he says, uh, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You know what I see about these last days? A lot of Christians don't have a conscience. A shot. You know why they don't have a conscience? Because they, they let everything in the world uh, defile it. They let this world defile it. They let everything through their eyeballs defile it. And the only thing that will fix your conscience and the only thing that will keep your conscience true is that book in your lap. And if you're not in that book on a constant basis, your conscience is going to be shot. So you notice in the last days, there's people, there's Christians and their conscience seared with a hot iron. And look, at, look what also is going on in the last days in verse 3 with Christians. Forbidding to marry. You say, what's that? That's people shacking up. We doing all right? I'm not worried about any. I mean, I doubt you're doing that here. But I'm just saying, it, it happens. Why? Well, you know, uh, let's just take, take, take it for a test drive first, you know. No. God says marry. Let every man have his own uh, wife and every woman have her own husband. You don't, you know, you don't test drive her, right? Amen. Marriage is still God's plan. 
And uh, for whatever reason, this uh, not only is uh, the conscience shot in the Christian, but the morals are shot. They go hand in hand. And when the conscience goes, then it's like, well, hey, let's just live like a bunch of animals. And uh, a lot of Christians do that, and that's not right. But Paul tells you these are signs of the last days. Christians are going to start shacking up. They're, gonna, they're not going to see the value of marriage. You know what that marriage is? That's a picture of Jesus Christ in the church. You loving your bride enough to die for her, right? That's a picture of Jesus Christ in the church. The best thing a, a Christian couple can do if they love one another is get married. Amen, amen. I know that's old-fashioned, but hey, it's, it's the right thing. And uh, he says you got people forbidden to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, and there's something to do with that whole thing about vegetarianism that's kind of infected things. We won't get into that. The Bible says, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. And uh, Paul hits some of the same things. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. These are signs. These are indicators that you know for a shadow of a doubt, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we are in the last days. And I know some of this stuff to some of y'all might be like, okay, whatever, we're in the last days. But this, this is what's going on. And you need to be reminded about these things that are going on and uh, realize that we're close to going home. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Let me just throw this out to you. In the last 10 years, have they been more perilous than the previous 10? <laughs> sure they have. How about the last five? A little perilous there. How about the last three? Has your, not, your entire life changed in the last three years? How about two years? 100%. Keep dialing it in, right? Your entire life has changed in the last three years. I was just thinking the other day how we came in here and that whole, uh, the whole bug thing, the whole COVID thing. Man, that thing's still out. That thing's still out. That thing's still a mess. It's changed everyone, got everyone jacked up to the third heaven, so forth and so on. And, and uh, man, that stuff is real. And people lost loved ones and people dropped dead and all that stuff. Why? Perilous times. Perilous times. And uh, now look at this. Perilous times shall come. Look at verse 2. All right, it's going to describe the people, the Christians. This isn't describing the lost people. This is the Christians of 2022. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Never before have you and I ever seen a generation in love with themselves as you have right now. In love with themselves. It used to be that a man would get married and he'd go take care of his wife and he'd provide for his family and he'd provide for his children. Now a man, he loves himself. Amen, amen, amen. Lovers of their own selves, that's your selfie generation, that's this, you know, you know, you know, all that stuff. Uh, covetous, covetous, you know what's helped being covetous? I'll give you the, what's the big three? You've got eBay, you've got Amazon, and you got, what's the other big one? I don't know. There's Etsy. <laughs> Tell me, tell me in the last 20 years how uh, easy, uh, how much one-touch buy has destroyed Christians' lives. You don't have to think. Matter of fact, they're going to come up with some AI, artificial intelligence one day, that if you think you want, it's going to show up on your door the next day. Now listen, if you've got a guilty conscience, I'm not getting after you for buying stuff on Amazon. If it's cheaper to buy it on Amazon, buy it on stinking Amazon, amen? Be frugal. But, I mean, everything you see on there, you don't have to have. Wow, man, y'all are tough this morning. I thought you'd be shouting me down. That's right, preacher. You don't need what you bought last week, preacher. All right. 
It says boasters. Amen. That's our generation, isn't it? Just full of us. Just full of ourselves. You're a product of this world. I hate to tell you, you've been raised in this world, and I know many of you are saved at a young age, but you know what? You boast. The, what does Paul say about the late, or John say about the Laodicean church age? You, you're rich and have need of nothing. You don't need nothing. You don't need no body. You don't need no church. You don't need no preacher. You don't need no teacher. You need nothing. Why? You got it all together. That's the Christian state in the last days. You see the signs? I mean, you run into them all across this community. Saved people that, that claim to love God. Their tail end ain't in church. They're not sitting under preaching. They're not submitting under the teaching of the Word of God. They're not enjoying the things that they should. Why? They got it all together, don't they? I'm not coming down on you. I'm just saying these are the signs of the times. Look at this. It says uh, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. Man, we live in an unthankful generation. All we complain about is what we don't have. Christians can't seem to get anything done for Jesus Christ because we're not content with where God has us. And we think that we're just unhappy with His supply. As a Christian people, we are not content where God's put us. And we think if we could orchestrate this and we can manage that, we could pump this up and get over here, and this is exactly, no, God wants you here. Well, that's uncomfortable. Well, that's where He wants you. Well, that's not moving at the speed I want. That's kind of where He wants you. Well, ain't nothing happened over it. That's where He wants you. Unthankful. All right? That's you and me. How about this one? Without natural affection. Man, you know why, why, why this generation of Christians are without natural affection? Too much stinking television. This, it said this was about five years back. The average uh, saved, born-again child of God watches about 500 murders a week on TV. 500 murders, I mean, hacking off heads and arms and legs and guts and all that stuff and shooting people all to pieces. And the Christian now is just jaded. So that when real tragedy happens, we're like, well, you know, well, they had it coming, you know, without natural affection. That goes with women aborting their kids and all that stuff and all the rest of that thing. Look at that truce breakers. There's your marriages falling apart. It gets difficult. One bump in the road, pull, pull the plug, and I'm out. Truce breakers. Uh, how about false accusers? Incontinent. That, that doesn't mean, uh, you know, they go to the bathroom all over the place. That... That has to do with the inability, <laughs> just making sure you all awake. That is a definition, isn't it, nurse? Okay. But this in the passage, this incontinency, this has to do with the inability to restrain your own sexual urges. That's the Christians of 2022. <clears throat> all right. Now look at this. Fierce. I'm telling you what, since the Lord brought me here to this church in 2014 with my family, I'm not talking about y'all. I've never met a fierce bunch of Christians in my entire life. You say, what is that? You talking bad about people? No, it's just who we are. You get between me and what I think is right, and you're dead. Fierce. Go ahead and... We're all... <laughs> I'm on a roll. <laughs> we ain't even out of the hangar. <laughs> I'm sweet, kind, and lovable until you cross me. I shake your hand, right? You too. Just go ahead and cross you. And then you're on that list that's somewhere between Pharaoh and the bottom of the Red Sea there. 
and you stay there. Why? We're fierce. <clears throat> Despisers of those that are good. Do you ever stop and wonder why you can't stand people that love the Lord? <laughs> you ever wonder why some of you just get all jacked about, about other people? It's just personality, ain't it? I know exactly who I'm preaching to. I'm preaching to a big mirror. You ever wonder why you have problems with people, but yet they're your brothers and sisters? Right there. Despisers of those that are good. How about this one? Traitors. Man, I'll tell you what. In the last five years, i never seen more Christians in my life just turn tail and run. I've heard people say, Preacher, I'm, we need to stick together, and we're going to be there when the bullets fly. It didn't take bullets to make them fly. All it took was a bug. <laughs> right? Don't worry about bullets. It was a bug. <laughs> Out the goal. Heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness. I'm not preaching against you. I'm just saying, look, these are the signs of the days that you and I live in. And Paul gave you that over 2,000 years ago. said, look, this is what's going to happen in the last days. So when it happens, don't flip out. Don't lose your mind. Don't melt down. This is just what's going to happen. And Paul runs all the way in that passage uh, uh, through verse 9. And by the way, in verse 5... Notice this, it says, having a form of godliness. So they can sit in the church pew, smile, say amen, shout, holler, run the bases, but denying the power thereof. And then he says this, from such turn away. You've got to make the proper separation, even amongst the ranks of Christians. You've got to make sure you're turning away from those individuals that would be involved in that stuff right there. And I know that's not popular because... This world has taught you just to love everybody and kumbaya and let's hold hands and let's, you know, let's circle around the old pine tree in the schoolyard and all that. But I'm telling you what, do you come across these individuals that Paul lays out here in the last days? He turn away from them. Why? That stink will get on you. I remember working for an ice cream company for a number of years and I'd have to go down to them milk parlors. <laughs> And it was, uh, it was, I always enjoyed it because I'm, I'm just a country boy. But uh, especially in the winter, you go down to the milk parlors and then you'd have, you know, sell your ice cream and all and peddle your wares and whatever they're eating, chicken strips and all that stuff. And then you get back in the truck, about three stops later, you got this funny smell coming out from the heater. Well, you picked it up when you went in the barn. You see what I mean? You start trafficking around with these Christians that are all hung up with this stuff, love as their own selves, covetous, boasters. All of a sudden, that snake's going to get on you. You see what I mean? He says, from such, turn away. And Paul runs all the way through verse 9 of what's going on. He's talking about stuff that's going on in the church, not the lost world. This is not what's going on in Walmart. This is what's going on in the church house, the body of Christ. You've got to understand that. And then again, last but not least, look at 2 Timothy 4. Paul does the same thing again. This is the last epistle that Paul wrote before he got his head took off by Nero. So usually men's last words are more important than when they first started. Look what he says, the last chapter of what the, uh, the last epistle that he wrote. Look at verse 1, 2 Timothy 4, 1. He says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. So there's the answer. There's the answer to the last days. There's the answer to the last times. You preach the word. Amen. You and I should love preaching. Amen. You and I should love teaching. 
We should love the things that please the Lord. He says, uh, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove. You ought to love reproof. When a preacher gets up, a pastor gets up behind the pulpit and tells you what's wrong with this world, you ought to go, amen, that's right. Even if you was part of it this week. <laughs> amen, that's right, preacher. You ought to love reproof. Rebuke. When he gets in your stuff, you ought to go, well, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> I was wondering how long you got me. <laughs> and then he says this, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. The problem with a lot of Bible-believing preachers, they're really good at telling you what's wrong. A Bible-believing preacher is really good at telling you what's wrong with this world, what's wrong with you. But I've met few and far preachers between, and I'm not claiming to have the perfect balance, but a preacher, he ought to be able to exhort the people. You ought to be able to lift them up. I mean, if all you ever do is come through here and you get bullets, cannonballs shot at you, You might learn to duck and miss the artillery fire, but that's going to keep you low. And I understand you ought to be humble. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you. I get all that. But every once in a while, you need to be built up in the faith. You need to be exhorted. You need to be able to realize that you have a Bible that you can trust in and rest in and walk out of here and take on this world with this book. And that's the exhortation. All right, and he says, uh, exhort with all long suffering." Well, here it is, verse 3, For the time will come, and I believe we are at that day, and we are at that time. For the time will come when they will not endure what? I'm not complaining, but I want you to look around you. I want you to look around. This place will sit 150 without any problem at all. 150. I mean, with room to stretch. Now is the time. You say, well, you just think you're something. No, I know I'm nothing. Without the grace of God, I couldn't even blow my cotton pick a nose. But here's the time. You're getting sound doctrine. Where are they at? You say you upset? No, last days. You need to understand where you're at in church history. You see that? You say you're getting on people that are not here? That's not my job. Why would I get on people that aren't here? Well, the pew's going to go amen or something? Y'all came. Y'all love the truth. You want to get something. I'm telling you, you need to understand the location in time that you're at and not let it discourage you. You're not in the 50s where people were walking the aisles and getting saved. You're not in the early 80s where people were still and ministries were strong. You were in 2022. You were in the last days. You were in perilous times. And you are now in a place where people will not endure sound doctrine. And let me tell you what, I'm not the world's greatest preacher, but I'm not the world's driest cracker juice preacher either. You see what I mean? I'm telling you, you just need to understand where you're at. Well, preacher, if you did it like this and you did it like, yeah, you get your tail up here and see how it works for you, bud. You see what I mean? I know where I'm at. Amen, doing all right. That they will not endure sound doctrine. You say, well, you don't understand, they can't. I'm not talking about the people that have a physical limitation. You know that. I'm talking about the healthy, well-abled people that could be or that know better that just don't come. Why? Last days. Last days. That doesn't make you a Pharisee. That doesn't make you more spiritual. That just means that God gave you enough grace to get out of bed and come. And maybe God's grace is a little bit more upon you, maybe because you're asking for it. I don't know. Now look at this, what happens, and uh, the not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Everyone's got a favorite teacher, right? Everyone's got a favorite teacher, doctor this and doctor that. And God uses uh, 
pastors and teachers. I understand that. Amen. But God gave you a pastor. And if all you have is your favorite teacher, you're not going to be able to digest what your pastor gives you. It is all that you can do right now to focus on a Sunday school, a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, and a Wednesday night, and try to make applications in your own heart. Now you want to add about six teachers onto that? Good night. Forget it. You see what I mean? It's all you can do to process that information and keep your relationship with the Lord right through those four services. And then you're going to add six or seven more of your favorite teachers. Eventually, everything's just going to come a blur and nothing's going to become important to the Christian. But they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Well, well, what do you think about this? I wonder what he says. I wonder where he lands on the position. I wonder what he thinks about this. Well, what does the Bible say and who cares what everybody else thinks? Now look at this. And they shall turn away their ears from what? The truth. Verse 4. That's the last days. They turn their ears away from the truth and they're turned unto what? TBN. You see that? They're turned on to fables. Now, notice the admonition he gives uh, Timothy. But watch thou on all things. Endure afflictions. You know, in the last days, you know what's prevalent? Afflictions. I mean, it's hit after hit after hit after hit after hit. You know what I know in the last days? You're not going to get a break. You see what I mean? We talked about it Wednesday night, you're in the storm, right? Jesus is up in the mountain all alone praying. Matthew chapter, was it 14 or 24? I think it's 14 there. And perilous times, perilous times, perilous times. You recover from one, here comes the next one. You know what Paul said to Timothy? Endure afflictions. Hold up under it. It's going to be like you, it's like Mike Tyson and Michael Spinks. And you've got to hold out for 90 seconds. He's going to beat the daylights out of you, and you and, but you're going to live, Right? But it's just going to be a black and blue, bloody battle till Jesus Christ comes back. He says, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Now look at this, do the work of an evangelist. Why? There's still some people that need saving. You see that? In the last days, you don't quit witnessing. You see that? You haven't cast off your faith, and you keep telling people about Jesus Christ. Why? Some people need to be saved. Some people need to get pulled into the boat. There's a bunch of people outside the boat that need Jesus Christ. Do the work of an evangelist, and he says, make full proof of thy ministry. I understand that's a Timothy, but I'm telling you what, if you've got something that you're doing for Jesus Christ, you need to grab a hold of that thing and make sure it's what God wants you doing. Make full proof of thy ministry. All right, and he says in verse 6, for I'm now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. All right, so Paul tells you all this stuff's going to take place. So don't get all rattled when it takes place, amen? It's kind of like uh, the, you're up in an airplane and the pilot says, uh, by the way, we're going to experience some turbulence here for the next half hour and you're going to be bouncing your noggin off the top of the plane, so just sit back and enjoy the ride, right? You've been in a plane and, you know, and you're like just dropping straight out of the air and the captain comes on. It's almost like he's been drinking the whole thing and he's just so calm, cool, and collected and you're about ready to pass out. He's like, oh, we've experienced some sort of turbulence. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, you know. He's like, we're going to get through there. Amen. You're in the old ship design. It ain't going down. He says, for I'm now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. And let me tell you, I, I give you all those passages of Scripture, and I know you know them. I know you know them inside and out. But I just remind you of that thing. We revisit them just so you understand that we're really close to going home. Really close to going home. <laughs> 
Amen? That ought to be able to breathe a sigh of relief. And you got to remember that whether you think it's in the springtime when he comes back or the imminent return is whenever it may be, like we said, the Lord could suck all the air right out of your lungs and you could be standing before him just like that in a moment of time, moment of time. Come back and look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5. We'll pick this up and run with it. But I think it's important. I think sometimes we forget we are as far into the last days as we really are. And then we begin to speculate, well, are we really in the last days or is there a lot longer to go? Look, whether there's a lot longer to go or a short time to go, we're in the last days. Amen? And uh, here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and whether we go by uh, death or rapture, you and I ought to be ready. Amen? I want to be ready when it's time to go. I don't want the Lord to catch me off guard. I don't, I don't want the Lord to come back and I'm fussing or messing or fighting or doing something like that. I shouldn't. I want to be ready to go. Amen. I want to be able to see the Lord Jesus Christ through the lattice like it says in the Song of Solomon. And then he says my name and blasts me out of here. And I'm like, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> but look at 1 Thessalonians 5.5. 5. He says, Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. All right? So we're not supposed to be sleeping during this time period called the church age. You see that? We're children of the day. Uh, we're, not, we're not children of the, the night. We're children of the light. Now look, we're in the dark, but we are the light that's in the dark. And if you're here today, you're saved. You have Jesus Christ inside of you. And Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And when he left off, he left you his Holy Spirit. And now you're the light of the world. So we're the only light in this dark, wicked, evil world. Look at verse 6 says, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. So he's talking about spiritual sleep. He's talking about spiritual sleep. I was talking to my wife the other day, and she says, this is, it was hard to sleep the other night because this light was on. I was thinking, it is hard to sleep when there's a lot of light in there. Uh, when we were first married, we had our, our bedroom was in the very center of, of the house. I mean, center. Probably not even code. I mean, we didn't have a window. I mean, and that thing would get so dark, man, you could sleep for three days if you wanted to. I, I mean, isn't that nice when it's so dark and quiet? I mean, no kids running around yet. I'm not complaining, amen. <laughs> well, maybe a little bit, anyways. But uh, when it's dark, you can sleep, right? But when there's a lot of light on, you can't sleep, can you? I mean, unless you're exhausted, but think about it. And that's why a lot of Christians are asleep spiritually. You say, why? They've thrown the light out. You see what I mean? They've thrown the light out and they're in the dark. Their conscience is seared and they're in the dark. A lot of people, they'll come to church service and fall asleep physically because often they're asleep spiritually. Now listen, just because you come and have had a long week and I'm not after you. I'm just saying in these last days, people, I see them, they'll come to church and they'll fall asleep. And could it be because they're asleep spiritually? Could be. They tossed out the light. And they might even be in a place where the light is preached. Think about it. If some preacher's up there preaching the truth, why would you want to fall asleep unless you're physically exhausted, right? I understand that. I do. I mean, you work all week long, come into a warm church, lights out. (laughs) But if you come to a church and the truth is preached, I mean, and that guy ain't backing down, why would you want to fall asleep? It might even be in a place where the lie is being presented or 
They might even be in a place where the preaching is not as dry as cracker juice. Now look, if a, if a preacher is preaching the truth, praise the Lord. But if he's dry as cracker juice, oh, he might want to work maybe a little bit on his delivery. But I'd rather get the truth and it be dry as cracker juice than to not get it at all. You see, we live in that day and age where everything is about professionalism, isn't it? It's about polish. It's about spit and shine. It's about how cool does this guy look and how nice does this guy sound. And now it's, does he have a PowerPoint presentation? Does he have all the digital media? Does he have all the support? And what's the numbers? And how many looks, likes, and listens, and follows do you have? That's not how the Lord works. The Lord doesn't care about how many looks you got, how many likes you got, how many listens, and how many follows. He don't give a rip how many people subscribe to your channel. Amen. Amen, amen. That's why we like you, brother. <laughs> On this uh, social media platform, they have, uh, if you put out a video or if you put out a podcast, they have how many people like it, how many thumbs up you got, how many listens. Uh, the program we use to record the sermons, uh, they have a number of listens. Like you can tell how many people listen to a sermon or a message. And if a preacher is going and basing his credibility or worthiness spiritually about how many listens, if that's the case, I'm a chump. I'm an absolute chump. Anyway, Paul said you weren't supposed to compare yourselves among yourselves. He said that wasn't wise. You know what I figured, I found out, I started, yeah, maybe confession time a little bit. I started looking at all these looks, likes, and listens. You know, I figure, you know how many looks and likes I'll get on a, a message? Just about the number of people that attend church. And a man's looks, likes, and listens, unless he's letting the devil do the promoting for him, will generally be as about as many as his congregation are. But you know, my ministry is not to that lens right there. That's not my ministry. My ministry is right here. And Peter said, feed the flock of God which is among you. That's what he said. He didn't say, feed the flock of God to the digital world. He didn't say that. But you know, uh, a sleepy state, a drunken state, this world, uh, this world of Christians that we live in, they're, they're in a sleepy state. I'm going somewhere. I'm trying to develop this thing. Uh, so don't fall asleep on me. Uh, but uh, a lot of Christians are in a sleepy state spiritually. A drunk, and it, I'm, when you make the connection, you're going to go, aha. That's why. Because you yourself have attempted on several different occasions in time to stay as astute and as interested in preaching and teaching and Bible reading and living for the Lord, and you just absolutely struggle with it. You want to know why? Because it's nighttime. It's nighttime. And you know what everyone's doing at night? They're sleeping. My mother said, if the sun's down, so should you. <laughs> you should be down too. But uh, the church is in a sleepy state. It's a drunken state. They're drunken with the things and the ways of this world. Uh, they're drunken with the fornication of this world. And isn't it interesting, in Revelation chapter 17, verse 2, the great whore has everyone drunk in the last days and is committing spiritual fornication with them. Revelation 17, 2, read it today. In the last days, the great whore, uh, Mystery Babylon, has got the entire world drunken and is committing spiritual fornication with them. 
and that describes the church in the last days. And the nighttime uh, light is what? It's artificial. And therefore, what you and I need is the real light. You say, what's the real light? Well, you know, the only real light at night is the Holy Spirit in the King James Bible. It's all you got. It's not a ministry. It's not a program. It's not, it's not some seminar. It's the Holy Spirit in the King James Bible. You ever stop and think about the nighttime is where the robbers come out and the thieves? You know, that's what the devil's trying to do right now. You say, what's that? The devil's trying to rob you of rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Why? It's nighttime. That's when all the thieves and robbers come out. You know, many people going around today, uh, many, many churches are not even preaching or teaching about the judgment seat of Christ. You know how many Christians are going to get home and go like this? I had no idea that I could get any of that. Never preached, never taught. You realize as a Christian you can put up gold, silver, precious stones, five different crowns. That's all part of the judgment seat of Christ. We try to teach on that at least, at least once a year. Why? So you can get irritated and mesmerized by it? No, just so you know what you got coming if you're working for it. And the devil's trying to rob you of crowns and rewards. And, of course, the peace that you have in the night, you can't forget about that. I don't know if you've ever worked a midnight shift or had to drive through the night. That's a real trip. Or if you drive through the night for a living, my goodness, you're a stinking trooper. But you know one thing, the longer you work the midnight shift, the longer it goes on, you know that it can't stay night forever. The longer it goes on, you know what? Morning's coming. Morning's coming. And you know what? The longer it's night, you know it eventually you're going to be able to go to the house and get some rest, aren't you? Let me tell you what, if you ever worked a midnight shift, you get to about 4 or 5 in the morning, you're about ready to die. I mean, sometimes it's about 3, but usually about 4, between 4 and 6, you just, you know, the old piano jumps right on your lungs. I don't know, it does me anyways. And you got, you got to take toothpicks and keep your stinking eyelids open. you got to stop if you're driving. you got to run around or slap yourself in the face or something like that. And by 7 a.m., there ain't nothing like going home and crawling between those sheets. Amen. Feeling them sheets just rub up against your toes, and you pull that blanket over and the lights out, and you're gone. You say, what happens? You can get some rest. Isn't that good? I'm just telling you, the longer it's night, the more you know that soon it's, we're going to get ready to get out of here. And you know, that's a perfect picture of this church age. You say, what's that? The longer it is night, the more worn out you're going to get. You see it? The longer it's night, the more tired and more sleepy you're going to get. And the longer it's night, you know it can't stay night forever. And you'll be tired. You'll be worn out. You'll have had all you could possibly stand. And when you get home, it'll be a rest like nothing you've ever had before in your life. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. And the nighttime, Paul repeatedly refers to it as the last dispensation, the last time period before Jesus Christ comes. And the drunken man is is an unsaved man. And uh, that drunken man, he's oblivious to reality, isn't he? He He doesn't even know what's going on. And the things that he thinks are real, they're temporal. And the things that are real, he can't even see them. And so he's all twisted up and messed up like a drunk. And this 
picture of a drunken man. He's just running around, bumping into things, causing other people hurt and pain, but it doesn't bother him because he's all shot out. And that's what Paul's talking about in verse 7. Look at verse 8. He says, but let us who are of the day be sober. Be sober. Paul's like, don't be getting drunk. And if you're going to be getting drunk, get drunk with the Spirit of God. Remember what it says in Ephesians chapter 5? Now, I know there's another meaning to sober here, and I'll cover that in a second, but that, that fits, doesn't it? Christian, you don't spend your time getting drunk. I mean, that should go without saying, but we are in 2022. You got Christians now who think it's perfectly fine to go drink liquor and beer and all that stuff, and they have. You know, interesting how Christians use their liberty for their own flesh. I never seen a Christian a day in my life use their liberty just to go out and serve God and do what they think is right or be more conservative in their behavior. It's always to justify some fleshly thing. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. All right, so you don't be drunk with wine. You be sober. That means be serious-minded. In these last days, you and I got to get serious. You see that? <laughs> I, nothing, I like a good joke, amen? You know why? Because I can't tell them. <laughs> I ain't no good at telling jokes, so I like to hear a good one. <laughs> My daughter and, and Brian will laugh if I tell one, but they feel sorry for me. Amen. <clears throat> so in the last days, you know what? You got to be serious. What does that mean, preacher? You quit your clowning around in the last days. It's time to get serious. I'll say it one more time. It's time to get serious in these last days. If there's one thing I've tried to be guilty of is trying to get the mindset across the church of God, it's time to get serious. Why? This thing's about ready to roll up. We're about ready to get out of here. Wouldn't you hate to be caught unaware? If you're saved, you're going up. Would you hate to be living for your life for yourself and doing whatever your flesh wants and, and not listening to what the Holy Spirit wants you to do and all of a sudden He calls your name and you're blasted out of here and you're like, hey, I, I had no idea it was coming. It's time to get serious about it. Be serious about what you're doing. You say, why? Time is short. Look at verse 8 again. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Of course, that matches up with Ephesians chapter 6 and the whole armor of God there. But that breastplate, it covers your heart. You say, what's so important about that? In the last days, Christian, you've got to protect your heart. Your heart's going to run away on you if you're not careful. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, the Bible says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If you don't keep your heart, guess what? It'll run away from you. It will. The Bible says, He that trusts with his heart is a fool. You've got, you got to keep that heart reined in. And you've got to guard your heart against what? Well, in the last days, you've got to guard your heart against deceit. You read about that in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? You've got to guard it carefully. Why? Because your heart, not only will it deceive you, but it'll get cold on you. You see, your heart will get cold on you. You won't even realize it's cold. That's why you've got to be diligent with your heart. It'll get cold. It'll get hard. It'll get stagnant. So you've got to put that breastplate of faith on, and you've got to learn to walk by faith. Amen. In order to keep the Christian zeroed in, you're going to need also the helmet of salvation. And what that is, is that's not necessarily you being saved by grace through faith. That helmet of salvation, that's the hope of your salvation. That's the hope of you getting out of here. You see that? You've got to keep your head cool. You've got to keep it straight. You've got to keep it protected. Why? You've got to realize that one day you're getting out of here. You're getting a brand new body. All right? <clears throat> and that hope's the very hope of being raptured out of here at any moment. 
And that's the thing you and I got to keep in the forefront of our mind every single day when we get up. Your prayer ought to be, is it today, Lord? Do we get to go home? I'd, I'd plead with him a little bit. I, I think the Lord appreciates that. You say, well, I don't think the motive, I don't care what you think your motive is. I'd plead with the Lord. Lord, you, you think today, please, Lord, could, could we go home? Because uh, if I don't, I got to clean the house. And I, <laughs> I'm, oh, okay. But you can't come by 6 a.m. Can you come by 6 p.m.? Aren't there some things coming up on your calendar that you really don't want to deal with? Amen? Some anniversaries. Some anniversaries of trouble. Some anniversaries of hurt. Some anniversaries of pain. Wouldn't it be just night to get out of here? You say, well, that's not the right motive. Help yourself, man. <laughs> I'd plead with the Lord on that thing. And that's the very hope of being raptured out of here. And let me tell you what, if you constantly keep on that, keep thinking about that, uh, it'll help you. Not only will it help you, but if you wake up every morning and you try to get your thoughts directed into getting out of here, it'll keep you pure. Because if you're thinking about the Lord coming back, you're not going to be out here in this world messing around trying to run errands for an old dead corpse like your flesh. You're going to be like, how can I keep the house in order before Dad gets back? Remember when you were young and your parents would leave? And they'd say, clean the house before we get back. Wouldn't it be nice when the Lord comes back to have your house cleaned up? Because let me tell you what, you read about that thing in the New Testament about the church not having spot or wrinkle. There are some spots and wrinkles in the body of Christ, and they will get ironed out of the judgment seat of Christ. All that stuff that you don't take care of down here, the Lord will iron out at the judgment. I'm not looking forward to that pressing process. You know, they used to have all these things all over the place called one-hour martinizing. Remember those places? Take your clothes in there, and I don't know what they did. It had an animal in there or something, you know, breathed on them or something, made them all. I'm telling you what, we're getting our laundry done at the judgment seat of Christ, but wouldn't it be something to have it done before you get up there? That'd be a blessing. It'll keep you pure, and it'll encourage you to know that you won't have to fight your stinking flesh. One of the, we'll stop right there and pick that thing up tonight. Stop right there. I'm telling you what, what a great book, First Thessalonians. Talk about the Lord coming back in every chapter.